0: Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandereau. the podcast for wine fanatics who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, we introduce you to a prominent woman and take a peek into her life and, of course, her favorite wines.
1: Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandereau and I'm talking today with Jody Morley who is the proprietor and general manager of Morley Family Vineyards and the Morley Selection. She's also a wife and mother. Jody, thank you so much for joining us today and inviting me here to the winery. It's my pleasure. It's so nice to be with you. Oh, thank you. I have just so thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you. You are just just one of those extra special ladies. So I'm glad that we're sitting down and we're going to be able to share your story with our listeners. Thank you. So let's just jump in. Sure. Let's talk about what was your first professional job? <laughs>
2: um, well, when I was an undergraduate student at UCLA, I was a tour guide. I worked for the Visitor Center and I was able to meet people from all over the world. Hosting tours on campus and also a docent for different activities. And that was probably my first experience in kind of hospitality in a sense. Uh, Obviously, it had nothing to do with wine back then, Uh, it was highlighting what was significant about the university. And I had no way of knowing that decades later (laughs) I would be in a similar role as far as educating people and showing them around um, the wine industry and and specifically our winery.
1: Did you ever dream you'd be a proprietor of a winery (laughs) in the Napa Valley?
2: No, uh, never in my wildest dreams. (laughs) Um, When I was growing up, I was not exposed to wine um, at all. And uh, it's funny because... When I was 24, that's when Luke and I met, and we met in France, and I was at his um, home It, in it is France. a beautiful story, it is so a beautiful yes, story. Please, <laughs> please tell it. Yeah, so we, um, so I met in France uh, with Luke. It was through a, a relative, a mutual relative. My stepmother's family was related to Luke's family, and so we, I was in France for the first time in my life, and his mother, so my now mother-in-law, uh, was pouring me champagne, And I spoke a little French, and I nicely told her that I didn't like the taste, and and I thought she would stop pouring me (laughs) champagne. And much to my surprise, she came back with another flute, and this went on for about an hour. And finally, I, I realized that she thought I had a very picky palate. And so I said to her, oh, I'm so very sorry. It's the alcohol I'm not used to. And she looked at me and said, this is champagne. It's just like water. There's no alcohol in it. (laughs) And I remembered looking at Luke back then, we were both 24, thinking he was a nice young man, but I thought his family was crazy. And never in a million years would I have imagined dating somebody whose whole world around wine, let alone marrying a winemaker or owning a winery one day. And he likewise looked at me and thought, nice young lady, but equally crazy, because how can somebody not even drink wine? So I think, you know, we definitely... Um, came from two different backgrounds, uh, but it is quite amazing where we ended up together.
1: So I have to ask an interesting immediate meeting. <laughs> but how did you all land? How did you all fall in love uh, and land here on the Napa Valley? Yeah, no,
2: that's a great question. So when Luke and I first met, we became friends. Um, email wasn't quite out yet, so I'm dating myself a bit. But we wrote letters back and forth to each other. And um, after about a year or so, he flew out to visit me again, and then I flew out to visit him eventually. And that's when we knew that probably one day I would have to move there or he would have to move here. So he decided to walk away from his family's champagne business um, in order to start a life out here in California so that he could be with me. And way back then, um, he was hired to be the winemaker at Newton Vineyard up on Spring Mountain. Uh, John Konksgard was leaving at that time to pursue other projects and so Luke naturally settled in St. Helena because that was where his first job was. I was still living and teaching east of Sacramento back then but the following year we got married and so I of course moved and got a job teaching in St. Helena and so that was kind of why we landed in St. Helena to begin with and we've had various roles over the years but have always remained here. This has always been home.
1: So now you have this wonderful winery What's the most challenging part of running this business?
2: (laughs) There's a few aspects of it. Um, I think my initial challenge was transitioning from being 20 years in education and working with children to being thrust into really the business world. And I think, you know, it is is wine, it is the Napa Valley, it's very romanticized, but it it also is running a business. And I think for me personally... um, going from working with children every day to all of a sudden working with adults in a business situation was challenging. Um, and then the most challenging aspect probably was the legal issues, the compliance, that every single state has different laws and, and keeping up on those licenses. And for the export markets, they all have different regulations, and then with the county. And, and so it just, the, the level of legal issues and compliance issues was a bit daunting and overwhelming. Fortunately, I have a really good team around me, and so they help us to keep on track in every aspect. But that really was um, something that I had not been exposed to at all prior to to really taking over full-time as a general manager. And
1: what do you enjoy most?
2: It has to be working with the people that I mm-hmm. meet. Um, I have had the opportunity to meet... People from all over the world, which has been just an amazing experience. When, when I, when my husband and I bought this winery that we're in now, I knew at that moment that I was going to have to stop teaching. I knew that that was going to be my last year and it was going to take both of us full time from that point forward. And that was hard. I, I cried probably every day for the last four months of that school year, (laughs) just um, (laughs) mourning the idea that I was no longer going to be working with children every day because that is what brought me joy. And I really honestly thought that I was not going to be happy running a winery because that's not what my initial passion was. It wasn't what I set out to do in my life. And I was pleasantly surprised because every day I had the opportunity to meet these amazing people from all different professions from all over the world who would come and really appreciated my husband's talent and gift for winemaking. And just to see it impact their life has been amazing and then beyond that, to be able to support charities um, throughout the country that are near and dear to our hearts and to be able to use the wine to do that has, has really been the most exciting thing for us.
1: Well, they are spectacular wines. <laughs> so let's tell people, when you come to Morlay mm-hmm. for a tasting,
2: yes. what can they expect? Yes, yeah, so we're um, by appointment only. Uh, we prioritize members of our mailing list, but when our schedule permits, we're always um, happy to welcome others. And we greet everybody with a flute of Lucas Family Champagne from France. So it's Pierre Morley Champagne. And we've been importing his family champagne since 1999. That's our way to try to stay in touch with the family and, and show them that we're still supporting all their efforts, even though the oldest son moved here <laughs> for me. Um, and so that's kind of how we greet uh, guests. And then we tell them the story, our background, about how we met, how we started everything. And as long as the weather permits, we give them a tour of the crush pad and just talk about how Luke handcrafts the wines. And then we sit down at the table for an actual seated tasting, uh, which usually consists of about six or seven wines. And so it's a private experience. We never combine groups. And so we recommend people reach out about a month to three months in advance, depending on the time of year, so that we can ensure that we're able to give the full um, experience to, to the guests who come.
1: Perfect. Does there tend to be a crowd favorite as far as a particular varietal?
2: I think with Luke, what's fascinating is obviously he grew up in Champagne, France, so his first love is Champagne. champagne <laughs> um, right. But uh, he worked as a winemaker in Burgundy and in Bordeaux, and he was classically trained on both. And so I think he is very well known for... Both the Burgundy varietals in our portfolio, as well as the Bordeaux varietals. So obviously, it's Napa Valley. Um, we're very well known for Napa Valley yeah. Cabernet Sauvignon and our Cabernet Franc. But I think people really do appreciate his white Bordeaux blend, his his other varietals that we have long-term leases from Sonoma, um, because I think they appreciate his ability to craft high-end wines across various varietals. Um, so, but yeah, I think everybody has their favorites. Um, you know, depending on their personal preference or what they're eating or what the occasion is. but If you weren't a
1: teacher mm-hmm. and you weren't running an amazing winery here in the Napa Valley... Is there something else that you always dreamed that you would be doing one I day?
2: I probably would have loved to have been an interior designer. I'm pretty much addicted to HGTV <laughs> and all things design. Um, of course, I could design better. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I, yeah, I just I love interior design. I obviously have my own style, which is very French influenced. But I just love looking through catalogs and magazines and seeing how people decorate. And and so I think if if somehow the hours in the day magically, you know, were longer, that would be something I would, I would enjoy delving into. Where do you think that comes from? You know, my mother was funny. My mother was a middle school PE teacher, um, for her whole career. She's retired now and a coach, but she had this architectural brain. And so she was constantly designing things. She built miniature houses. Um, real estate companies would contract her to build miniature models of their homes. I mean, it was, and, and so I think that, Um, when I was growing up, my brother and I would go to sleep, and we would wake up in the morning, and either the furniture in the living room was all rearranged, or she had repainted the wall color. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So I think part of of it was just, you know, growing up and and just seeing how much she enjoyed um, with the little time and resources that she had, but just seeing how much she enjoyed um, decorating her, her home. And I, that probably rubbed off on me. Although I went in a little different direction because I kind of fell in love with all things French, um, and, um, and, and tend to decorate in a different style. But, but I think that's probably where it originally came from. Okay. You know,
1: you were a teacher for so long and obviously a lot of those skills translate to hosting guests. Um, Mm -hmm. During the course of your career, was there someone that that has um, influenced you
2: or has mentored you along the way? Yeah, and honestly, I think if I think of the most influential people in my life, they're, they're women, but they were actually in education. And I was very fortunate at UCLA's Graduate School of Education to be taught by Madeline Hunter and then the amazing Sharon Sutton was my field coordinator, and Deanna Stack, who still teaches at the lab school to this day, was my mentor teacher. And what I learned there, I think, was a lot of observational learning. I I was able to recognize when somebody around me was doing something amazing and learned how to kind of take that into my own and adapt it and be able to implement it myself. And, And I think that over the course of my teaching career, That's always what I strive to do. You know, just how can I do something better? Is there somebody around me who is doing this better than I am? Or how can I learn from everybody around me? And so I was always striving to do a better and better job, you know, in the classroom each day. And I think that is the similarity that Luke and I always had even though he was in the wine industry from birth (laughs) um, (laughs) is that we both share the same work ethic, but at the same time he is always striving to improve and never thinks that just because he got X number of a hundred points that he's made it, you know, he's always striving to improve upon quality or improve, you know, see how he can do things better. And I think that's what has made us such a good team is that over the years in the wine industry, I had, I didn't, come into this with a sales and marketing background. I didn't come into this with a wine background. I had to learn from others around me. And so I think from being able to go to different wine events or watching how different wineries um, hosted events or hosted tastings, it was not necessarily something we could... Mimic exactly because many wineries started with a different financial backing than we did, right. but it was something that we could say, "Okay, that is a really great idea. How can we adapt that and use it now?" Or maybe we can't do it now, but that's our long-term goal: is to be able to get to that point one day.
1: But you also came with a fresh
2: perspective, right? Yes, that's so. True. I think that probably worked well for you as well. I think so. I think as a teacher. You know, basically, I spent 20 years trying to help children not only get really enthusiastic about learning and take on you know, ownership of their learning, but also how to present challenging information. And every child's different. And some children learn multiplication facts through a song or some from doing a hopping relay. And, and I think that's where um, the, the transition for me to go into marketing kind of made sense because I know how I would like information presented. And I know how I presented information um, to children. And so I think that's where, when I was designing our brochure or the website or marking materials or writing our newsletters, I think I have a good sense of there's people out there that really are very knowledgeable about wine and they want to know the geological soil profile of our vineyards. <laughs> and then there's people who... Are like me that want to hear the nice story and and just want to enjoy the wine at dinner or with friends or, and and so I think it's a nice balance in that I'm able to weave together, um, both you know the the really technical and mm-hmm. and the winemaking um, that Luke does with the the personal story, as well.
1: You can read the guests and ad-
2: adapt accordingly. Exactly. Right. Yes.
1: So, do you have a personal work motto?
2: <laughs> that you try to live by. I do. Oh, um. <laughs> oh! look. She came prepared. Came prepared <laughs> um, with my reading glasses and all. Um, but I'll be, I'll, before I read this, I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, running a winery, honestly, was not something, as I mentioned earlier, I ever thought I would do. It's also not something I ever thought I wanted to do. It, it wasn't this far-off dream of mine. And when I all of a sudden had to walk away from teaching and it was a, it was a hard transition and I would be pouring wine for guests and talking about how amazing my husband is. And I, I went through a period of time where I almost felt like I was losing my identity, oh, you right. know, and I was a mother to these wonderful children. And I was helping run this business that was becoming more and more successful every year, but it was almost like, what, where did I go? You know, like the, th- what brought me joy on a daily basis is not there anymore. And so it was, it was hard for a, a while to kind of adjust to a different... To um, redefine yourself. Exactly. And I think Mm -hmm. one thing that really helped me is actually a Bible verse, Um, but it's Colossians 3.17, and it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And I think what I had to do was get to the point where I realized my identity isn't in my circumstances or what I'm doing each day. This is what I need to be doing right now. This is what's best for our family. This is what's best for our, you know, our marriage and, and for my husband's career, and then to be able to sit back and realize all the wonderful things that have come from having this life. And not only do I get to live in the beautiful Napa Valley and count hot air balloons in the morning (laughs) as I'm driving, um, but just to meet the people that we have met over the years, to become friends, and in some cases to feel like family with some of them, and, um, and then to be involved in charities um to the level that we can and support those efforts across the country there's so many positive things that have come out of it that if i had remained in teaching even though i would have had that joy of working with children i wouldn't have experienced any of these other things that i've been able to as a result of, of running the winery
1: that's beautiful and that's so well said uh, so see so you found yourself again. yes exactly
0: Want more on today's interview? Purchase Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. It's available on our website at winecountrywomen.com.
1: Let's talk about your personal life. Okay. I, think a, I, think, I mean, because I think uh, it's a good place for us to mm-hmm. begin to do that.
2: Where did you grow up? I grew up in Sacramento, California. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised there. Right. My parents divorced when I was quite young. I think I was about one and a half when they divorced. And so I did split my time. I was raised by my mother and my stepfather in Sacramento. And then I was on a plane every other weekend uh, to San Jose to visit um, my father Mm -hmm. in in California as well. So I was kind of grew up split between two households. But it was a really good experience for me to have to be constantly adjusting and adapting. And I became a pretty independent child early on as a result of that. And I think a lot of those skills, you know, Kind of grew with me as I grew up. Um, and then for, for college, I really wanted to have that experience of, of going away to school. And that's why I chose to go to UCLA because I wanted to go far away from (laughs) my parents um the only downside to that is of course when my children were old enough to go to school it turned on me because of course they chose to go far far away away, okay they stayed on the (laughs) west coast but
1: um but But, yes they they did go away
2: it all came back to me
1: <laughs> Let's accelerate the story mm-hmm. you and Luke moved to St Helena yes, I know that he had a position at Newton mm-hmm. um, which is located in St Helena, and that may have have been a determining factor why uh, why you moved to St. Mm-hmm. Helena, but you, because you could have lived anywhere. in Right. The valley. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Uh, why true. did
1: you choose to move to St. Helena? I think, you
2: know, we, what we, was it about the town? Yeah. That we, you, you know, when liked? we, when we just got married, we loved the, the town. Luke grew up in, you know, a very small town in Champaign and he really wanted rural, rural, you know, he wanted to live on a property in the middle of nowhere. And I, wasn't going to have that. <laughs> so, St. Helena initially was a really good compromise. You know, he felt like he was getting that small town feel surrounded by vineyards and I felt like I'm still in a town. And so I think initially we both felt comfortable. But as we had children, as we, you know, our children were getting older, it ended up just being a wonderful place to raise a family. And and just the tight-knit community and and all the activities that we were involved in with our children were younger. And so it just always felt like a place we wanted to stay. And, of course, his career took different paths, and, and I eventually stopped teaching. Um, but but we never felt like we wanted to leave Santa Elena, no matter where we were in our in our careers or, or in the growth of our business. It was just the perfect place. Exactly, yes.
1: You said that your um, hidden passion, more or less, is <laughs> interior design, mm-hmm. and you have some French flair, which... Mm-hmm shouldn't be really a big surprise (laughs) considering you're married to a Frenchman um, and you have that influence on you. If we took a step inside your home, Mm -hmm. what would we see? Describe it to us. Yes, you would see a lot of French paintings. (laughs) (laughs) There's probably
2: no surprise there. Um, I like Paris, old Paris street scenes, and so we do have a lot of paintings that reflect old Paris street scenes. Um, I have some porcelain dolls that are all French reproductions which are around so it's in that sense it's pretty french influenced as as far as like french lace and different things um but what people probably don't know is i have a quite an extensive music box collection oh, fascinating um, when i was nine years old one of my aunts bought me a little wooden music box that had nadia komanich on a balance beam and it spun around and played nadia's theme and I was hooked, and from that point on, every birthday, every Christmas, at least one relative, if not more, would would buy me a music box. And and so over the years, until I was probably in my early twenties, um, I was just getting music boxes. And if I traveled somewhere and saw one, I would get one. And and so we do have a curio cabinet which has quite a lot of music boxes. So um, so that's kind of something. that's fun when kids come over or something to Absolutely. bring one out. And, play them for them and did you them. carry on the tradition with your daughter um I tried to start when they were younger so if we went to Disneyland I bought them each a little music box <laughs> um but that's no. not something that they um yeah so they each have a few that I've bought for them mm-hmm. over the years that are in that cabinet but
1: well yeah. getting back to your home like mm-hmm. what is the color scheme Or. it um just what else does the interior so in
2: in general if if i'm not talking about my home office Mm -hmm. (laughs) if i'm talking about everything else um it's pretty much if you picture a french tapestry it's kind of those colors so it's nothing too bright when i was a teacher it was very different my classroom was primary colors and color-coded and you know these bright vibrant classrooms and my home is not like that at all it's much more muted tones Um, but I have a lot of, um, mauves and, and different shades of green and, you know, that are kind of in pillows, tapestry pillows or in the artwork or, so I kind of like to bring the color out in those ways. My home office is a little different. I painted the walls mauve. Oh, wow. (laughs) And, um, I did it for two reasons. One is I wanted it to be perfectly clear. This was my office Mm -hmm. and nobody else's and I do my husband would not try to barge into my office. If well, it, I, if and isn't that, aren't you,
1: uh, in our book? Isn't there a picture of you? There is your a office? picture
2: in the office. So if people look closely, they will see two things. They'll see the pink walls, but they'll also see on my desk is a lamp. And when um, my step-grandmother was alive, she was, vi- she was a teacher, no surprise there, but she also did um, stained glass. She oh. was very, very skilled. And she, when each of her grandchildren would get married, Um, or celebrate some type of milestone, she would make a lamp for them, and when I was getting married to Luke, she asked me what color I wanted my lamp to be, and I said cream, because I thought that would be a neutral color, and I had no idea what eventually our house would be and how we would decorate it or anything so I thought that would be a good neutral and somehow she misunderstood me and thought I said green so if you look at the (laughs) lamp the lamp is bright fuchsia petals with bright green leaves it's a beautiful lamp but it's not the neutral that I had envisioned way back 20 something years ago when I had asked her for that and so when we've moved into the home that we're in now and I was finally able to have a real true dedicated home office just for myself I thought, I am going to highlight that lamp and I'm going to paint the walls to match that lamp so that the lamp really felt like it had a proper room Place. and a proper home. Yes. So that is um, the inspiration for the color. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect.
1: The, and the lamp probably pops. Now. It does. Yes. Some people don't like this question, so you're, you're being forewarned. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs>
2: when you're at home, other than Morlaix wine, yes. what do you like to drink? Oh, that's a good question. Um, f- so first and foremost, I almost only drink Morley wine at home, and it's not because we're opening bottles constantly for ourselves. I wish we could, but um, it's usually because if there's wine left you know, in a bottle from a tasting that we can't use the next day, um, I've shared it with our staff or I've taken it home for myself. So my go-to, my favorite of all of our portfolio is the Passenet Cabernet Sauvignon. So that's typically what I don't share very often. <laughs> it's kind of a running rule that that's the bottle Jody gets to take home if there's any left. Um, and so we're honestly not opening wine for ourselves on a daily basis, especially if it's a time of year where Luke is blending and his palate is fatigued and he comes home and he's not wanting a glass of wine. If we're out at a restaurant, um, one of two things happens. Either he's selecting wine based upon what he feels professionally he would like to taste, whether it's a winery that he loves but it changed um, a winemaker, or whether it's a French wine that he thinks I will love. You know, mm-hmm. So often it, it, he'll be selecting the wine. I personally love to support the people behind the wine, and so... If I'm, you know, at a restaurant and I'm looking at a wine list, I'm actually looking for labels that I recognize, but people that I know and, and wanting to support them personally. So for me, it's not necessarily about which wine is the best quality on that wine list. For me, it's more about who's behind the wine and, you know, am I able to support them by buying that bottle for, for this dinner?
1: Well, that's, that's a lovely gesture. To support your colleagues mm-hmm. and your friends. I feel like you've kind of already answered the next question I wanted to ask, which, which is, you know, is there something that you could tell us that people might be surprised to learn? I do play the flutes. Oh, oh, well, maybe
2: I should put that in past tense, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last I, time you picked up a flute? I, I probably picked up my flute three months ago. Oh, the, okay. So not too, too long ago. But I had gone probably about ten years without... Playing it to, be, and you picked and, it up just three months um, ago. And I picked it up off and on for the past year or so. And it really was because on a daily basis I was feeling like I'm working all out until all hours of the night on the business, and I felt like I needed to go back and kind of bring back something from before. Um, and incorporate that back into my life, and I did American Sign Language for years, and I played the flute since I was in third grade, and I was kind of thinking through what's realistic that I could actually I probably do. do. I'm like, oh, I could pull my flute out, and so I have. I've, you know, it's not very often, but I do pull it out and go back and play songs that I used to play back in the day, and I don't play them nearly as well as I used to, but but that is something that I've always enjoyed doing.
1: And playing the flute what does it do for you
2: i think um i enjoy just well as a younger person right it, it was hours of practice and i um and just that discipline of if you really put your mind to something and you really want to work hard you can accomplish a lot and i was never the first chair flutes i think i my highest was ever third um so, you know, there was people that were very, very gifted musically that I was around, but I, I really enjoyed that sense of accomplishment, and that sense of, if I really put my heart into this, like, I can accomplish this, and play this really hard song, and when I was in college, I played for weddings, um, I had a friend that played the clarinet, and we would often play for weddings, and, and so it was just an, you know, a neat aspect to have to our life, I'm not a musician, I can't, um, improvise you know i i I know enough about music to know that i'm not one of those people um (laughs) but if i'm given sheet music and it's at a certain level and i can you know have the time to practice it then i always you know i always enjoy being able to do that
1: i think i'm going to wrap things up okay and i know you're you're concerned (laughs) because you know i'm gonna ask you five quick questions five
2: quick questions are coming (laughs) okay But don't be frightened. (laughs) Okay.
1: Um, Here we go. (laughs) Jody.
2: what kind of car do you drive? I have a Lexus SUV. Um, I need an SUV because I'm either taking wine around or taking children (laughs) and their supplies around. Um, And then I do have some autoimmune diseases that I um, battle. And I I need a car that's comfortable so that I um, am not in too much pain as I'm kind of, you know, spending hours in the car.
1: Okay. Who's your favorite designer to wear?
2: <laughs> so that's funny. Um, my fourth graders used to make fun of me, but there is a shoe company called, I don't think this isn't a designer, but called Monroe. They're sold out of Nordstrom, but they make a wide width and a wider heel. And when I was teaching, you know, I got to the point where I couldn't, I could no longer wear shoes with smaller heels. Um, it was just, my balance was a little off or it would Hurt my ankles, and so I found this shoe brand, and I would buy sandals and pumps and boots, and and I literally had fourth graders that used to make fun of me because every shoe I wore was basically that brand. But now d- in the wine industry, you know, if we're at an event pouring our wines, we're standing for a good three to four hours, hours at least right. at a time, and so they're still my go-to shoe because because they're they're comfortable. And the name of them, it's are? I think it's Monroe, Monroe, and, and I know you can get them through. Nordstroms. Okay, and they're not going to be the fanciest, most designer, but they you are know, They look good and they're comfortable. So at this point in my life, I'm going for comfort. <laughs> Perfect.
1: Okay. Question number three. Where was the last spot that you vacationed?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, more than likely, with our family it 's France, just because my husband's most of his family is still there, right, and so we do go to France and and spend time with his family in champagne, but then we always like to add other you know other parts of France um, to our trip while while okay. we're there
1: who's your favorite actor or actress
2: Oh, that is a good question i I love Jennifer Garner, <laughs> and I know that. You know, from an outsider looking in, we, we always feel like we know celebrities when we really don't. But I not only think that she's very talented, but I've always admired that the way she carries herself um, in the public eye. And and so I think I would probably have to say Jennifer Garner. Now, aside from that, Meryl Streep is obviously the go-to as far she's, as she's <laughs> she's pretty good as far as talent goes as well.
1: And uh, this is a good follow-up question. Your fifth question: What's one of your
2: all-time favorite movies? Oh, goodness. Well, it, it would probably be the Pride and Prejudice or the Princess Bride. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to the point where I can probably sit there recite and, and recite. The <laughs> <laughs> With eyes like the sea after a storm. Yeah. So, uh, but no, I do like, um, I like period pieces, but I also like ro- romance kind of drama
1: okay. as well. See, it wasn't that hard. It wasn't too
2: bad. Thank you. Those weren't too difficult of questions. No,
1: (laughs) I try not to, you know, make it too hard on anybody. It's supposed to be fun. Uh, Jody, thank you so much for staying down with us Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having
2: me.
0: Thank you for tuning in to listen and learn about the women featured in our lifestyle books and involved in our business. Share these episodes on your social media platforms so more people can learn about wine country women. Visit our website at winecountrywomen.com to join our list and be the first to learn about exclusive offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new episode of Wine Country Women.